Welcome to the Mixed Movement, where we speak candidly about the uncommon commonalities that people of mixed race face in our world today. Here, we listen, share, learn, and acknowledge that through our stories, we are all connected. We are your hosts, Nate, Chris, and Rachel Go. Welcome to the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's show. I am so excited about our guest today. Her name is Amelia, and she and I met in a closed group online, and I was really intrigued by her story and reached out to her, and here we are. Welcome, Amelia. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for being a guest on the show. Let's start with a little bit about who you are and where you're from and a little bit about your upbringing. As you well know, my name is Amelia, pretty much raised in Minnesota from a town outside of the Twin Cities metro area. My upbringing, I was adopted when I was three years old. I'm biracial. I was adopted by a white family born in Kentucky, so then moved to Minnesota, been pretty much here my whole life except when in the military. And now I, for a while now, I've been a medical social worker. Okay. Well, I have so you do have a really unique story. Did you have other siblings that you were raised with? I have two older siblings. Both of them are my adopted parents' biological children. So I'm basically the, as they say, the black sheep of the family. <laughs> I was raised in a very uh, rural part of western Minnesota, not big on adversity or diversity. Um, so I had a lot of bit of struggle growing up. My parents always allowed me to be who I was. They never hid the fact that, hey, you're biracial, your birth parents are this and that. But I, in the area that I grew up on, it, uh, resources were pretty much none. So um, I had aunts and uncles that lived in the big city. They would kind of take me in over the summer so I'd be exposed to just ethnicity, period. You know, so I, I had that, but it was it was a struggle, even though, you know, people say, well, you don't look this way or act that way. And I'm not really sure there's a way to look or act, but it caused a lot of problems with identity and, and for people to believe that, no, I am this and that. And so that's kind of how I got to be part of the, you know, unapologetically biracial movement and just the black movement period. Thank you for sharing that. I do want to ask your siblings, are they older than you? Both are older. Both are older. And your school life, was there any challenges that you had faced or did you feel at all different? Like you didn't fit in with your classmates or anything of that sort? I did pretty much kindergarten through I graduated from high school. I was the only one and probably still the only person of color that's probably lived in that town. And, you know, some towns can be white, but they have exposure and where I grew up never did. So it was different. It was, I had a lot of bowling and I can say that had I not been into sports or athletic, you know, I don't know what road I would have traveled, but that was pretty much my saving grace because teachers didn't support it. My family supported, but they weren't educated enough. They didn't, you know, my siblings weren't like, they didn't have my back. And even though that they knew, they just, I just didn't have the support. I'm sorry. That had to have been really isolating for you. It was. Do you have a close relationship with your family still? Yeah. My mom and I have 
grown closer. I mean, we've always had a mother-daughter, nothing really dynamic out of my family. Just, we just don't have that closeness. You know, like I said, I'm also adopted. So that connection, that blood connection, I've always kind of missed out on that until recently. So, you know, I wish we were closer. I wish I, you know, my siblings, like how I would picture siblings is being close and, and that, but never really was. We all got along, but you know, nothing, nothing really close. I'm sorry. I understand what that feels like myself growing up a little bit uh, like the black sheep and how that can really shape how you view the world and how you navigate it. Now you are adopted and I, I'm very curious about this because I know that you had mentioned it previously to me, but you have recently in your life sought out your birth parents, your birth family, correct? Correct. And how how did that start? How did you begin that process and where are you now? Well, I mean, I've always looked at that journey. I've always struggled with it. I've always looked for them and had non-identifying information, which is basically what a person looks like. You know, no names are involved. You know, basically race, age, size, build, color. And so I think my protest growing up was I didn't want to have to pay the agency that placed me money to find what my birthright is. And so, you know, years and years and years later, when I turned 50, my adopted, my dad said, well, let's screw it. Let's just hire a private detective and find your parents and be done with it. So that's basically how it happened. And wow. Found both. So your, your dad helped you begin this process? That's pretty incredible. Yeah. They've always been supportive of who I am and you have birth family and that's your right. And, you know, never, you know, very unconditional family. So that's kind of when the quest began and yeah, hired a private investigator and two weeks later had information on my, at least my birth mother. So that's incredible. And how, how long ago did you start this journey? Uh, Three years ago. Okay. And so since then you have open communication with your birth mother? I did at first. And then when she realized that I had connected with my birth siblings on her side, I guess I was a secret. So she got mad and she ended the relationship. I'm sorry. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's another strike of rejection. But then a year later she died. So don't need to pursue that. And then I, my birth father, he had died maybe 11 years ago, but have met my siblings on his side. So altogether I have nine, nine siblings, nine half siblings from both sides. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Lots of personalities. So you never met your birth father, but you did your birth mother. Did you meet her in person before she had passed? Just Just talked talked. to her over the phone. Yep. One time. What was that like for you? I don't really know. I don't, I can't really tell you. I think I, you know, nerves and it was like, I didn't know what to expect from her. And I think I always assumed the family that I grew up in is just being unconditional and Hey, okay. I got, you know, okay. Yeah. I gave you up. She was very uh, closed and denied at first and said, no, there's somebody else by that name. And then I had just challenged her and said, so you didn't give me up. And she goes, no, I didn't give you up. And there she just, she just outed herself by saying that. So she finally 
basically confessed and we never really talked about anything. I think she lied the whole time. And then when I tried to connect again, she, she never answered. And then in that meantime, I had connected with one of my sisters on her side that we've had a relationship for three years now, which has been pretty good. But my real quest, nothing against my birth mother side, but my identity, you know, the biracial side, the racial side, the black side has been with the my birth father side. And most of them have rejected me. And I don't know if that's a mother father kind of thing or, or why, but only one will really have a conversation. The others don't want to have anything to do with it. So have you had an opportunity to speak to all of them directly or, and they just, they won't communicate with you? One, yeah, one flat out won't even reply. One did at first, but she hasn't anymore. Um, Two of the brothers, they communicate um, every once in a while, but, and I don't know if it's because we're all older and they've moved on with their lives or what it is, but they don't, they don't do the attempt to reach out. It's usually me reaching out. So I've just kind of have stepped back and if it's important, they'll reach out. If it's not, it, you know, it's not to them. I don't think they realize the, you know, this is about, you know, being biracial, but just the whole adoption side, you know, a lot of biracial children are adopted and just that whole dynamic with that also. Right. So are your siblings from your dad's side not biracial? Are they all black? From birth father's side, they're all black. Were you able to kind of piece together a story at all or of how you came to be? Well, he liked the ladies, so (laughs) he stepped out a few times. I actually have another brother from another mother on his side um, who's biracial as well, and we communicate every once in a while, but he wasn't given up for adoption. He just stayed with his birth mom. But okay. um, that's about all I know is he had affairs and there I was. So. I just have to point out that's incredibly brave of you to go down that path and and go down that, that journey of trying to get answers for yourself, yeah. almost in a, a sense of closure. Mm-hmm. So you do have a relationship with one of your siblings, correct? Pretty much two, but it's... Minimal. Yeah. And I think because they're all in Kentucky and I'm in Minnesota, so it's not... You can't reach out and touch someone. It's all, you know, communication, phone, whatever. So have you not met in person? Yep. I've met my birth sister on my birth mother's side. She's come up here and I've gone down there. And then a brother on the birth father's side. We've met in person. Okay. That's amazing. Good for you. Thank you. Do you feel like that has helped you navigate your life since? Do you feel like that has brought in a connection to that side of your family that you weren't aware of while you were growing up? Not really. I mean, I've always known like my identity, maybe not knowing who they are. But I think the rejection piece is not, I mean, I know who I am and, you know, but I don't, like, they just don't want the, they don't want the connection. And I think that's what I have to to roll through. I I know I'm black and I'm white or, or, you know, whatever, but a sense of like, who do I get this from? Like sports, like everyone's like, neither one of them didn't play sports. They didn't know anything about sports. So I'm like, well, who do I get stuff from? And I think 
identity that way, not so much race, but just kind of like who you are and like your DNA, basically. Right. Get it. Like whose traits Mm -hmm. have carried down. Yeah. So you have a little bit of information. Yeah. But I have to ask, do you feel like that has empowered you to become who you want to be? In a sense, I think it's made me like I don't have to feel like, oh, they're not going to believe me. Like I'm secure in saying, you know, I'm black or I'm white. Or if someone's like, well, you don't look black. I challenge that now. I'm not afraid to like challenge people that are ignorant. Why would you say you're black? You don't look black. And I'm like, well, black comes in all shades. So does white. So does Japanese. So does every culture. Right. And so I think since that's been more secured and like now I know, even though I've known I feel more secure on, and just putting out that information. Like, I'm not afraid to say like, you know, why would you say such a thing? Like my experience that I had shared with you is like, you know, what, what do those things mean? Or, you know, you're not afraid to be who you are, just express who you are. I just want to ask you how you handled those questions when you were younger versus now, when somebody, would you identify openly as being black or white, or would you just kind of brush it off and kind of, you know, not really engage in conversation revolving around your race when you were younger? Younger, I was very open. I've always been pretty open about it. Good. Yeah. And I always thought it was cool. I didn't know that it was different. Like I didn't notice like when people called you names, you know, at a certain age, you're like, you just laugh along with it until I kind of realized like, you know, that's derogatory, right? Or, you know, that monkey is negative or, you know, that's not cool. And it took me a while to kind of learn that. And then knowing it was bad, trying to fit in, just doing negative things that, you know, you're just doing it to fit in. It's, it's, it's not who you are. And so it, it took me a while to probably ninth grade to where I was like, screw it. And it just caused a lot of problems because, you know, when you're discriminated against, you know, people retaliate, they fight back. And sometimes fighting back with words is one thing and fighting back physically is another. It's almost like it's, I don't say hereditary, but we just have that in our blood to fight. Well, to defend ourselves, especially when when we're getting questioned. So in terms of, you you had mentioned when you, like you are presented with these negative terms, you're, you're labeled these things. How did you react because you mentioned that you had done some kind of negative things and what Yeah. I would fight. Physically. Yeah. Or I'd laugh along with it. Yeah. Or my mouth can run a mile a minute. Just stuff like that. I mean, I just I didn't understand it. I mean, I understood it, but I didn't understand it. And then, you know, I'd get in trouble versus having a parent or teacher say, Hey, listen, that's not cool. Like I didn't have that mentoring. I didn't have teachers saying like oh, when you graduate from high school, you go to college. Like no one was mentoring me. Like, you know, what type of person am I supposed to be? Or you're this or that, or, you know, or even like your own heritage, you know, black heritage. And um, I knew it, but people made fun of it. Like, why would you like Stevie Wonder or what's up with Michael Jackson? Or, you know, they just, I couldn't get into my own fit. Right. Even from two different sides of the fence, I still leaned a certain way and to have it just rejected or, oh, just blow it off if they call your name. That's not, that's not easy. 
I don't know no. why people think it's so easy. To it's it's not, and it's not okay either. As your life has progressed, like into your early 20s and 30s, have you, did you find that you were presented with the same types of, of questions and names? So, some, you know, or like filling out a f- form, like a lot of, I see a lot of yes. people post about, oh, do I, when I was applying, there was no other, like I would just write it in because I, I mean, I just would because, and then people would question like, oh, I see on your application, you put black. And I'm like, is there a problem? So yeah, people are different shades. So if you're a light shade, you must not be black or act black or know what it's like to be black, whatever that means to them. Therefore, it's okay to tell a black joke or say something derogatory because you don't look it. Therefore, you don't know what it's like to be it. Huh. And I can say from my own experience, like I have black friends, but they don't know what I shouldn't say all, but they don't know what discrimination is like, like I do. Like I w- I've actually been discriminated against for being black versus, you know, seeing it on TV, the George Floyds, all this because they're black. If you grew up in a neighborhood with all black people and never been like discriminated directly, you don't know what that feeling is like. You know right. about it, but you don't know what it's like. So that's why I tell people it's like, just because you're black or you're darker than me just doesn't necessarily mean that you know what it's like to be discriminated against or not gotten a job or whatever it may be. A lot of people have, but in my experience, I can actually say that. That's a really good point and a really good perspective. Have you have you tried to have that conversation with people that you know or have you had that conversation? They just don't, they, it's more like, why do people have to know? And I said, well, it's identity, but I don't know what gives a person a right to make a black joke in front of me, whether they know I am or not, with the excuse, well, you don't look black. But why would you make the comment in the first place? Yeah. You know, you make your own self look stupid. I don't make you look stupid. Right. You know, so that's where it stemmed from. And that's basically, I think, one of the biggest things that got me on the the unapologetically biracial group, the incident that happened to me in January, that's how I got onto the group was because of this situation. Like I finally got to a point where like, this is not, it's not cool. And I know other people out there have been in this situation. Let's talk about that situation that happened in January, if you don't mind sharing that story. Sure. So January, I had to work the weekend, which happened to be Martin Luther King Jr.'s weekend, the holiday weekend. And I was working with uh, two other people, one a nurse and one a social worker. And conversation was being said, can't remember, but all of a sudden the nurse was saying something or was talking about something. And I had said, I'm sorry, what, what did you say? And she started laughing. And I said, what's so funny? And already back up, already knowing this person, I kind of knew she was in the narrow as far as being a little narrow minded, but not to this extent. So she went on by started laughing and she said, well, yeah, you know, if we would have shot four more black people, we would have had the whole week off versus (gasps) one day. Right. So four more people, we would have had five days off. Yep. That was on my post. And so when that was said, I didn't say anything because of behavior in the past. 
had had it been outside of my work environment, it the outcome would have been different. Um, but I just bit my tongue, turned around, had to walk out, and she didn't even realize like what she had said that it had offended you. Yeah, right. And my colleague never ever said a word, and I'm like, I and I told her later, you're just as guilty as she is, especially being a social worker. I mean, right. And so when everybody came back to work, I had reported it and, you know, it went up the chain and my boss had called me in and said, well, yeah, we don't tolerate this. Like we have a no zero tolerance policy, but she's full of shit. My boss has never, ever mentored me or supported me in situations. And I'll explain because When she had said that, she never had once said, I'm sorry this happened to you. I'm sorry that she had said that. And I didn't say anything because I'm allowing her to dig her own hole. I don't need to dig it for her. So a few days later, I sent her an email and I said, you know, I'm a person of color, right? 50 question marks. And so a day later, she calls me back in and she didn't really acknowledge. But the conversation kind of went on. And how I felt, and no, I don't want an apology from this person. Um, but her saying, oh, you know, the professional thing would be to sit down with her and talk with her. No, that's not how Black people think. Sorry if I stereotype, but that's not what we do. And then she conversation went on, and then five minutes later she goes, oh, I really love your hair. And I thought, oh, my God, this this person is way beyond ignorant. That's just something that you don't do. And it's like, you're not educated on, it's like Native American people. There's certain things you do or say because they have their boundaries, right? Same with black people. You know, black people don't like, don't comment about my hair if you don't like me. I mean, it's kind of that maybe stereotype or... Do you feel like it was a little bit of a dig on you after... Total, I'm trying to get out of my whole conversation. Yeah. And I'm like... Never once have you complimented me on anything, and now you're going to say something about my hair. And that's, like, the biggest ding on a Black person is, like, oh, your hair. Like, you got everything going for you because you're... Right. And I didn't say anything, and then she started asking questions. Oh, about your birth family. And I just said, I'm actually done with this conversation and walked out. And if you want to fire me for that, go for it. Well, good Um, for you for establishing that boundary, of, I mean, it is pretty obvious that she was trying to recover from what she had said. She probably maybe was a little bit lost on how to do that, but good for you for Mm -hmm. standing up for yourself in in the way that you, that you should have. Mm -hmm. Has that, has your relationship with her been altered since? Well, she hadn't said anything to me for about nine months. Actually, I brought it up just a week ago and said, I'm just wondering why there's been no follow-up. You know, I know there was something happened to that person, like punishment or whatever, but she's still working there. Most places would have said you're fired, wouldn't even given you a chance to explain yourself, and she's still there. And I talked to HR, and they said, well, we've done what we need to do. And then I said, well, is there anybody on HR that's of color? No. And I'm like, well, that explains that too. So I kind of feel like 
how do we get people to understand like what we go through and like why I don't feel it's appropriate or why I don't want to accept her apology. Like, why do I have to be put back in a hostile environment? Why do I have to work with her again? Whereas my, and I asked my boss that question, well, it's kind of just how it is, but just how we schedule. And there might be a day where you might just have to work with her. And in my head, I'm like, no. And she said, well, if you don't think you can handle it, then you need to file a disability. And I'm like, why can't you just not schedule? I mean, it's too simple. Have you had to work with her since? Unexpectedly, once I did, yeah. And how was that? I didn't talk. To, I wasn't even in the same room with her. I just, I couldn't. I, I don't go in the place that the incident occurred. I won't. Her office, if I had to, I just, I don't touch it. And I've never had anxiety like I've had with this, even my whole life, like growing up with it until just recently. And I told my boss that, and she's like, I mean, she doesn't have anything to say. So that's kind of where I'm like, I'm going to keep fighting this. I'm going to get the word out. Anybody else this has happened to, I'm there for you. But this is not going to be like, she did what she did. She got punished. We move on. And we sweep it under the rug. Nothing actually changes. It's not going to happen. No. So if you were to be able to speak directly to her, what point would you try to get across to maybe hopefully shift her perspective? Would there be one, you know, one particular thing that you would like to to share with her on how it made you feel and why it's not okay? I don't know that we can tell people how we feel because you you own how you feel and and I can't say I understand. I can maybe relate to maybe a situation. Sometimes I feel like like when I've done something and I don't understand it, I try and put myself in other people's shoes. She will never know what it's like to walk in my shoes or a Black person's, a Native American shoes. She will not ever have that feeling. And that's what I would would say is, or wish is, sit, stand in my shoes for one day. Let me drop you off in North Minneapolis or the hood or somewhere. You figure out how to how to survive or let, let me know how you feel or sit down and watch Selma, sit down and watch the George Floyd videos. Let me see if you can get that feeling. She never will. So I just, I mean, they're just not going to ever have that feeling. They don't understand that type of discrimination. It's, it's a feeling that I can't even describe. I'm still, I'm still mixed at the end of the day, but I carry that side so heavily and it's hard to explain and it's hard to even, you know, my family now, it's hard to explain to them. Like, I can't just like be the one that says, oh, forgive and I forgive you. And I just don't, I feel in forgiveness, it goes away. That's just my, my own opinion. If forgiveness helps somebody else, go for it. But I feel if I forgive, I'm giving her the upper hand. And that's, that's, that's the person I don't want to have the upper hand, that it's not okay. And she'll never, she'll never walk in our shoes. She'll never walk in that. She'll never understand it. And you can say, sorry, until you're blue in the face, but it doesn't change. It doesn't change because your behavior will remain the same. I feel when you got that negative in your blood, you, you always carry that negative in your blood. Do you feel like though there would be one example that you might be able to share with her or anybody else 
in the future, hopefully this does not happen again, but you never know, that could maybe shift their perspective a little bit about how painful and scary it is. Not of anybody, even of mixed race, but yeah, it's pretty incredible how that just was completely dismissed in front of people for her. That's a good question. I would have to say loss. I mean, think of your biggest loss if, if someone's ever had a huge loss in their life. I, I don't know. It, it just, I don't know. Yeah. It's, that's, to- it's tough. It's a, a tricky situation that not everybody has been faced with, especially those who are, you know, speaking directly of those who are biracial. And especially I know from my experience, I felt a little bit like, a fly on the wall in certain situations where I've been in groups where people didn't know I was black and they're having these really, really inappropriate conversations in front of a black person. And this hasn't happened in a long time. And when I did, I was younger and I just kind of zipped it. I absorbed it and I didn't say a word. So we shouldn't have to keep zipping. We should not have to keep zipping. We shouldn't because we're here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We are here. We're not going anywhere. And it's time to figure out how to navigate these situations because on the other hand, too, we're both also white. Yeah, we are. So to mix or feel like it's okay to say these things in front of anybody is not okay, but... Most white people actually have Congo in them. (laughs) So we're all technically mixed. (laughs) Most white people maybe aren't even all white, but no, I think it's just that that population. I think, you know, like natives or, but you know, you've got that drop in you for some reason, there's a pull there, you know, yes, I'm mixed and, you know, I can pass as either or, and I don't like it when people say, Oh, you've got that white privilege. I'm like, I don't want to be privileged. I, I earn what I earn because I earned it, not because I'm white. But you've been told that? Yeah. In your past, you've been told that you have you have white privilege? Because I'm light-skinned, so you can do anything or go anywhere. I'm like, I do it because I've earned it. You know, you don't I, – I don't like that expression. I don't like the white privilege card. I don't like that at all. I don't know. I don't know why people go there with that. I don't either. What, um, what does that mean? they're better? <laughs> no, I think that for for most people, when you mention white privilege, it's it's essentially life is easier for you because of the color of your skin. That's what it is. But it's interesting for those of us who are mixed, who may have light skin and dark hair and have features of you know our other half. It's not white privilege because we're we're everything. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. I feel like I've been questioned of that in my in my past too, and it's not fair. Life is not easier. It's actually a lot more challenging and a lot more intricate than people think. So I do want to ask you this as far as identity and who you feel you connect with. I know that that has been kind of a mission for you in your life. 
have you felt like you have been accepted into one race or another that you're mixed with? I'd have to say not completely. My family, yeah. I mean, but they're again, they're they're on one side. And I sometimes feel like have to act a certain way or because they're not a person of color. And so then on the black side, it's like acting a certain way. And I can't, I can't do both. I don't have split personalities. I know where I feel most comfortable with. And where's the black side, but I don't feel like totally like, because a like black people really didn't come into my life, like physically until I went to college. You know, I knew about them, I saw them, but like knowing anybody personally, none, not a, um, and white people, yeah. And it was neither here nor there. But when I went to college, whole different thing, like black guy, you know, want to date and all, you know, all this and all that. And I'm like, huh, you know, I started figuring out like, oh yeah, I, you know, it was identity. How, yeah. How did that feel for you to start to be involved in more of a black community. It was good. Was it a little eye-opening for you? It wasn't eye-opening in a sense like I didn't know like about culture or anything like that, but I wanted them to know like, again, it was like, you're black? Like some people could tell right away, like, oh yeah, that's a home girl or whatever. And then some people would question it. So it's still on both sides. So I think I've always been strong on knowing my identity, and I think that's my saving grace, is knowing that you come from these two different sides, but however you pull, that's up to you, and I'm secure with that. It's just more or less been more hurtful, like the Black thing or whatever, and then people are questioning you about it. You know, it's just so I've, it's almost like I've had to, like, learn how to be or, um, you know, this is who I am, and you know, and some people are like, you're just you, just be you. We know you're home girl, whatever it is. And, you know, you're in all shades. Some people get it and some people don't. And that's on both sides of my culture. Right. How do you think it would feel to be completely and utterly accepted into, like what, into one race or another? What would that look like and feel like to you? I don't think I'd ever have to question why I act or do or what I wear or you know like I bought this um, t-shirt that says beautifully biracial and I love it because I love to see the reaction of people like huh like or why would you wear something like that or whatever and I'm I'm cool I'm fine with it I don't have I don't have to question it. I don't question it and I think for a lot of us biracial people that's cool to do something like that because I'm secure in myself you know this is who I am and you can judge it how you want or whatever that you think. I don't care. And I don't know how it would feel to be like completely accepted because I, 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 I just haven't. I just think if I was, I think with anybody, you would just be free and not have to worry about people judging you or right. you know, no, you're not or whatever. I love that shirt and I love <laughs> that you wear it <laughs> and you're sharing your reactions. And yeah. when you like, do you feel like by wearing that and wearing being biracial so proudly, you actually might be creating your own community for others yeah. like us where we are fully accepted. Yep. 
Because I think when I see people, when I'm out and I'm wearing it and you see families that, you know, they have a biracial child and the mom kind of looks at the shirt like, oh, yeah, I have a biracial child. It's just kind of that expression like, you know, it's okay, especially if they're more visibly biracial. I think for me, people tend to question sometimes or whatever, but I just, you know, it's kind of our own identity. It's like, you know, you don't have to be one or the other. Exactly. I really appreciate you sharing that, Amelia, because I know that a lot of us do struggle with identity. And I've been questioned, you know, wow, you're black. You sound very white. And people, you know, laugh it off. And that makes me kind of feel unaccepted. And I know I'm not alone. You're not alone. Everybody in our biracial community at some point or another has been questioned with identity. Why are you acting this way when you should be X, Y, or Z? I'm just really impressed and I'm very proud of you for wearing that and wearing that so proudly and acknowledging others' interactions and reactions. I think that's beautiful. I think that's amazing. I think I need to buy one now. (laughs) Go ahead. Everyone, everybody, there's so many t-shirts out there. Yes. I think that's brilliant. It's like when you said that, like people say, why do you talk this way or that way? You know, you look at Barack Obama, like, hello, has anybody ever read his, they just see him as a black man. Right. Well, you know, he has history to himself. I'm not trying to, you know, he's a homeboy, but he's also another homeboy. Right. And he, he, you know, people just assume, or why do you talk that way? Because you're black. And I'd love to hear what he would would say about that, even though how he was raised and where he grew up. I'd love to just hear him how how he identifies and and why and just kind of him historically. No, I don't don't know that about him. Right. I think that would be really fascinating to learn. Absolutely. So if you're listening, if he's listening, just saying. (laughs) (laughs) We'd love to have you as a guest. (laughs) (laughs) This is your formal invitation. (laughs) Um, Amelia, I'm going to ask you one last question that I ask all of our guests. Okay. If there is one legacy that you would like to leave behind, what would it be? Oh, boy. Save the best for last. (laughs) Sense of self and sense of humor. Ooh, that's two things, but I had to put them together. I love it. I Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Loophole. Um, so elaborate a little bit more about sense of self. Just able just to be me. I know people struggle with their identity. And, you know, like I said, where I grew up, you know, keep your mouth shut, move on. Don't, you know, just don't be afraid. I think a lot of this movement, you know, just just don't be afraid. If, if you're biracial and you want people to know it, know it. If you're black know it. it. I mean, just, just own it. What's the worst, worst thing someone can do is, is say something that's, you know, exactly. Just, like I said, and you can add humor to that. I, when people are racist, I just look at them as a big joke. Like I just, I would hate to be angry. They're all, it's all anger. So I just, you know, keep my humor, keep myself and good to go. Good for you. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's brilliant. That is how we should Thanks. approach life. Just be yourself and laugh at the things you can't change. <laughs> yep, for sure. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that you have, Amelia. It has been an honor to get to know you and your story and keep doing what you're doing. Stand up for what you believe in and don't back down. Thank you. Appreciate you having me, Rachel. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We want to be here for you and we can't do what we're doing without your support. Please hit subscribe and to stay up to date, head on over to mixmovement.com. That's M-I-X-D-M-O-V-E-M-E-N-T.com to stay up to date with news and more. We are the Mixed Movement. See you next time.